hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. John said to the crowds that had come out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and and gather the wheat into his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. God, gather us. Comfort us. God, our mother who gathers us under her wing, we we need you. We need to be gathered by you. And so we come to your presence and to you today. And you know what? We're not going to leave anything behind. We're not going to try to hide or mask anything, but we're just going to come with who we are. All of it. Because there is one, as John said, who is more powerful than the ways and the things of this world. And so we show up to that one. You know our needs. You know our fears. You know our sins. And you know the deepest truth about us. That we were created and loved and led into transformation by you. And so God, do the work of transformation. Do the work of bringing us to the core of who we are in you. May it be our foundation as we walk through all of the things that this world may bring. Spirit, I pray that you would teach. I pray that your words would preach through a broken man like me. It's in your name we pray. Amen. At All Souls, we often talk about this being a place where we we are holding things that maybe feel in tension or in opposite. And, And as we come to this passage, it's felt. John starts, um, so gently with you brood of vipers. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of how I wanted to start with today was just, You brood of vipers, welcome to all souls. I'm so glad that you're here. 
But somehow the passage ends with this, and he proclaimed good news. Okay, so it begins with, you brood of vipers, and it ends with, they were filled with expectation. It's almost like they're ready for some joy or something, and I'm like reading the passage and understanding and trying to go, where does the expectation, where does the good news come from? But I think when we begin to look into the deeper part of the passage, when we realize the people who are showing up to this preacher in the desert, when the, we look like, when we see what they're showing up with and what God is leading them through and what is ultimately bringing them to, to a place in which they understand who they truly are, we see the transformation from vipers to good news. And we see that this transformation is for us, a place that holds tension. Today, I feel the tension of we light a candle, a beautiful pink one. It is the candle of joy. It took Julie about five minutes to light it, because sometimes lighting the candle of joy isn't always the easiest, right? But we light the candle of joy. And as we do, we also remember that with joy comes sorrow. They're held together. Always. Always. A poem from Kali Cabran. The woman said, speak to us of joy and sorrow. And he answered, your joy is your sorrow unmasked. The same self, the self same well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. How else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. It's not the cup that holds your wine, it's not the cup that holds your wine, the very cup that was burned in the potter's oven. Is not the lute that soothes your spirit, the very wood that was hollowed with knives. When you are joyous, look deep into your heart and you shall find it is only that which has, been, which has given you sorrow that is giving you joy. When you are sorrowful, look again in your hearts and you shall see that the truth you are weeping for, for which has been your delight. Some of you, you say joy is greater than sorrow. And others say, nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come. And when one sits alone with you at your board, remember the other one is asleep upon your bed. The true gospel has a very unique way of bringing two things, which we love to separate, good and evil, brood of vipers and good news, and just separate them completely. But what life begins to say to us is that often it's in when we experience and hold these things that we find such a need for grace, such a need for God's presence to show up, such a need for Christ to transform and to meet us, such a need for something bigger than we can imagine to show up into the story. And so John, the crazy pastor out by the Jordan River, is preaching. He looks upon a diverse crowd where understanding of all different people. People. 
and he's offering them new life. The crowd is a mix, and on the surface, it seems that John's message seems harsh and exclusive, not the one that you want to be hearing as you make your way towards Christmas. It's not the one that's playing in the music. They're not quoting Luke chapter 3. He's also not mincing words at all. There's a need in which he is touching. Yet this message that at times seems harsh and exclusive, John is radically inclusive in so many ways. And I just want to look at a few of them. And what he's actually leading us to if we will be courageous enough to walk together towards it. First, he does this in an inclusive way. He opens the category of what it means to be a child of Abraham. It is no longer for John about religious ritual or lineage or moral behavior and just doing everything perfect and right or going through and creating the right sacrifice. It is about the way in which we live and love and receive the grace of God and trust God. He opens the door of what it means to be a child of God to those who are generous and honest, to those who are humble and who in a loving way move through this world. John is both straightforward, challenging and humbling us and asking that we share the abundance that we have with the vulnerable and to do whatever job we have to do with honesty, integrity and respect. This was a closed-door community. It wasn't a place in which people could come in and be children of God, but John opens it and says, no, no, this, God has a bigger vision for all of this than you had. It's so easy for us at times, at least in my field, to be able to talk about God. Man, I can even read a book about it. Nothing better than just hearing other people talk about it, maybe on a podcast, and go, man, that's, that's really interesting ideas. I wonder when I can bring that up in my next conversation. Or maybe we can dissect God and just like kind of create it all into little separate pieces in which we kind of know it all and figure it all out. But the hardest thing, I think, in this walk is actually to trust in that God and to trust in such a way in which we may live out that in which we believe and put our trust in, to bear fruit, as the passage says. John is looking directly at the religious people of the day and said, you know what, just claiming religion and going through the ritual isn't going to cut it. This is about all people learning to trust and to bear fruit, to live it out with their life. That's where the real courage exists. And so John opens the door for all people to enter in, to trust this creator. The second in this way in which we see John mysteriously and amazingly being inclusive to this community, these people who showed up, is that he he is including members of professions that were understandably suspect. Who are the two groups that he talks to? Tax collectors and soldiers. These are the ones that he addresses directly. These are both the groups that worked for the government at the time that was holding the Jewish people down, keeping the Roman occupiers, and some viewed them, probably most viewed them, that these were purely the enemies. And so John looks at the enemies in the face, the ones who have oppressed others, and he says, yes, this good news 
it's for you as well. This new way of living, it's for you as well. God looks to us this morning. He says, yeah, this thing that maybe you thought you were on the outside of or maybe you're not good at, this is for you as well. He addresses those people and Jesus picks up this mantle and does it even further. He touches those who aren't supposed to be touched. He addresses those who no one else addresses. He allows those into worship, those who had been banned for worship. He moves closer and closer towards the enemy, towards the outsider and says, no, this is, a, this is for you as well. But to all people, he says, we need to wake up. We need to wake up and become aware of the world and the needs, the sorrows, the aches, the lives, and the bodies that are around us. To not allow just our own personal comforts in things, in our religions, to lull us into some spiritual numbness. And so three times it is asked, what should What shall we do? To each profession and person, he gives a unique way to walk in this ordinary grace for the sake of others. Let me say that again. To each profession, to each person, he gives a way to walk in a very ordinary way for the sake of others. Even to those who were deemed the enemy. I wonder what it would be like for us personally to ask this question to God today. What should we do? What do you have for me to do? Not what do you have for my neighbors or what do you have for the politicians or what do you have for others, but but God, what do you have for me to do? What shall I do? When we ask this question with humble hearts, with a longing to bear fruit, with a trust in God, I think the words come to us very much like John spoke to the tax collectors and to the soldiers. He says, there are some ordinary things I need you to do. If you have two coats, give one away. To the soldiers, don't take more than you need. Don't cheat the system. Do your job with integrity. Isn't it interesting that they, it's not the same thing. They don't all have the exact same thing to do, but there's a specific thing in which they are ordinarily called to do. I think it's easy for us to think about what other people should do. But if we get to, God, what do you want me to do in my profession, in my job, in my role, in my life, in all the roles that I play, what do you want me to do? And before you go into an idea of changing and the entire and transforming the entire world, which is not a bad vision, but simmer down just a little bit and hear the words of John. It's ordinary, everyday things. Be present to those who are around you. Love those you encounter. Sit with your friend when they're in the hospital. Hug the person that you just know needs one for the day. Do your job with integrity. Don't gossip. It's these ordinary graces in which we love and move and care towards others that are specific and they meet us where we're at. 
Both of these things that they're asked to do to give away one coat or to share food, they get to the core thing that gets to a lot of our sin is that in some ways these tax collectors and these soldiers and every single one of us who need to include ourselves in that group, we're not on the outside of it. Usually you're on the inside of whatever group they're talking to. What, the, what he's getting to is he's saying to them, you know what, you have enough. You, you have enough. You actually are enough. So stop striving, stop hiding, stop hoarding, start, and stop living out of a scarcity. We're just so afraid that there's not enough attention, there's not enough fame, there's not enough money to go around in this world, and so we just need to get ours and protect it with everything we can. But the gospel and the good news, it says, when you have God, and when you know that you are the beloved of God, then you have enough. You no longer go around the world trying to grab what you can to protect yourself. But when we have enough, we're able to share. This image is very clear of when the people were in the desert and they're kind of going in the book of Exodus and they're going through the desert and God says, okay, I'm gonna provide food for you. And so he gives manna to them in the desert. And the manna shows up every morning, this bread-like beautiful substance that they say, what is this? But it's good for us. He says, okay, collect what you need. No more, no less, just what you need. And so they go every morning and God provides because God is enough. And God will provide what is needed for that day, even on the darkest days. And so they go and they collect what they need. If they collect more, guess what happens? It rots. When we collect more than we need, it rots. Right in here. We've felt it, right? And so they collect what they need what sustains them. And it actually becomes a thing of abundance. There's, ne- there's always enough for all the people. Stop living on the scarcity, but live by the good news that is a news of abundance for all people. So can we ask the question, what shall I do? In a world that demands more profit, more productivity, more effectiveness, John says, you have enough. Become aware and be present to others, to God that is around you. The second thing is this. The last part of the passage is we see this other kind of tension where John three times talks about fire, um, which is like you hear it, right? And your skin just crawls a little bit when it comes. But he talks about fire, and he talks about fire and new life, Often we think of fire, we just quickly go to an image of destroying and getting rid of everything because it's a powerful thing. Just like the sun is a powerful thing. You don't want to get too close to it, right? Yet it also is the thing that gives all of life to this whole thing we call creation. It's what gives the energy. And so this fire, three times he brings it up. And each time, I don't know if he's just getting mixed in his metaphors, but each time it kind of does something different. In the end, he taught, you know, he says, this tree is going to be cut down and thrown in the fire, or that this, this kind of husk that's around the seed, that's around the wheat, is going to be thrown into the fire. And he says, and guess what else? Like, Jesus is going to come and bring new life through water and through fire and through spirit. And you're like, real quick, I feel like we have a complicated relationship with fire. Is it good or bad, John? <laughs> like, here's Jesus' gift, and it will destroy it. And you're like, okay, fire. 
again in the desert, the context of this whole passage. What was it that proclaimed the presence of God in the desert? It was a pillar of fire that said God is with you and leading you through every way. That Jesus is coming with the spirit, with wind, with fire. We see it show up in the, in the, in the book of Acts. The first thing, this gift that the, they receive is this spirit that comes down like fire and wind. I think fire has a lot of different meanings, but one of the things we get from it is, is there is a process for every single one of us of being refined. There is a process of being restored. There is a process of purification that we all walk through. Every grain of wheat has a husk, and a farmer, even today, uses wind or heat to separate the husk, collectively known as the chef. From the, from the grain, the goal being, of course, to save every grain, grain, not to separate the good grain from the bad grain. It's actually to save it, to bring it to life. When I roast coffee with my friend Bob, when it's roasting, you wait for that shell to crack and to break so you get to the good, beautiful gold that is in the middle. It is a metaphor for purification, preserving something, not division or destroying. That the wind and the fire remove all impurities, anxiety, self-absorption, apathy, greed, the mask, the inflated ego, our sins, And it brings out that part of us that is generous. It brings out that part of us that is respectful. It brings out that part of us that is humble, that is deeply loved and loved others. And it presents it before God. As it is often quoted and needs to be to this passage today, there is a line between good and evil. There is a line between good and evil, and it doesn't run between groups. You can't just separate the good and the bad, but it runs through the heart of each person. So yes, bring the fire. Bring the restoration. Bring the liberation from the husks that hold us back. Bring and burn off those layers that cover the essence of who we are. In the last month or so, I've been trying really hard to get into um, pottery, like going on a wheel, and I'm really bad at it because it's really hard. Um, But the imagery is just ridiculous. You take this lump of clay, you form it and put life into it. And then if you want it to last, you burn it. You burn it and it becomes the solid, it becomes something that can contain something. How our sorrows sometimes burn us, but they create a container in which to hold life and joy and goodness. Now I'm with you. I don't like the burn. None of us do. I don't even know if God goes out there and just purposely tries to burn things, but it's a part of life. The sorrow, the suffering, the loss that must be faced is a part of transformation. It's a part of the process. We know that because it's the part that Christ went through for us. When we taste this bread and this wine, when we see Christ crucified, we see this burning, we see this transformation, we see this container being held so that new life can be given to other people. It's not to destroy, but to refine, to restore. 
to make us even more radiant children of God. We just have to let go of our anxieties, our self-absorption, our apathy, our need for security, and let the unquenching fire of God burn it all away so that it may reveal the thing that is good and nutritious, the thing that is our essence. Do you know what happens right after John preaches this? Jesus shows up. In some gospels, he goes actually through the wilderness and then shows up. But Jesus shows up on the scene, probably going through a wilderness experience on his own, through his own burning, through his own fire, through the the shell of whatever being burned away. And he gets to the very essence of who Jesus is. And right after the wilderness, he shows up to the waters of John. And John, right after this passage of saying these brood of vipers, this fire is coming, John gets to the essence of who Christ is. Which when we follow reveals who we are when our life is in Christ. To the one whose sandals were, we were unable to untie. Jesus going through the fire, through the wilderness, through the temptations of this life. Enters the waters, the skies break open. And the creator says, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. This is good news, O oh, you brood of vipers, that you are the beloved of God. And through Christ and through his righteousness and his life, God is well pleased with you. Life refines us often, and we need it, and it's hard. But our hope is on the other side that though there may be sorrow, there is joy. Though we may taste despair, there is hope. Though we feel the shame, we know that there is love. There is good news. And it is Christ who leads us directly to it and offers it to us. And so let us trust the Christ process in our following of him, in receiving the grace in which he has offered out of deep abundance so that we no longer live in fear of people of scarcity, that we cross through the fires and the sufferings of this life and move to the gracious land of joy and goodness of God. Let's pray. Christ, you have opened the door for all of us to come to your feet, to come to your life, to come to your way. Each journey is different and unique. Each journey demands something from us. But as we come to you, we fully offer ourselves this lump of clay that we are, that we may be created and shaped into whatever you long for us to be in this world. And so, Spirit, come with wind, with fire, with life, with good news. And may this news be for all people. 